This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Saris, maker of indoor trainers, power meters, and bike racks. It's a company of cyclists making products they themselves want to use, like racks that attach to the hitch of your vehicle, which traditionally have had a pretty significant problem. You know, what we kept seeing is when you put your bikes on a hanging hitch rack, um, what happens when then you need to get into the back of the of your car? This is Sarah Ryder, consumer-centric strategist at Saris Racks. And this is the issue of hitch racks. If the rack is on, you're just not getting into the back of your SUV or van. It's blocked. I'm a mom of three kids, and I love to have a, a bike rack on my car. But I also go to the grocery store a couple times a week. I drive a hockey carpool. I... Taking a hitch rack on and off is the very definition of user-unfriendly. So Saris decided to revolutionize the whole idea and created the Glide, a hanging rack that, with the push of a button, pivots the rack away from your car. And really, this thing is amazing. It doesn't swing down and require you to muscle the weight of the bikes. It simply glides back without losing any height. Even with four bikes on the rack, you can do it with one hand. But we tried it on car after car after car with all sorts of different types of bikes. And, you know, we kept coming to the same conclusion of, oh my gosh, this is so easy. Saris launched the Glide with a Kickstarter campaign, and they met their funding goal in three days. Trust me, if you see this thing in action, you're going to want it. In April, two versions of the Glide will start making their way to bike shops. The four-bike model will be $4.99, and the five-bike model will be $5.49. Both come in three colors. That's the Saris Glide Hitch Rack, coming soon to your local bike shop. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches, stories from our writers in the field. Sometimes it's hard to remember just how long ago 2006 really was. And then sometimes you can just hear it in the opening credits to a TV show that today sounds a bit over the top. I'm Bear Grylls. I'm going to show you what it takes to get out alive to some of the most dangerous places on Earth. Man vs. Wild was Bear Grylls' first American TV show, and it was the most successful of its kind. I was in college during the heyday of cable survival shows, and it was almost like you had to choose teams. You either liked Bear Grylls or the other guy, and your choice said a lot about you. The April 2018 issue will be the fifth time Bear has been on the cover of Outside. Four of those stories, plus a couple of online things, have been written by our executive editor, Mike Roberts. That's a lot of questions for Bear, spread out over 11 years, which is about 11 times the shelf life of your typical reality TV personality. So when Mike met up with Bear this time, he mostly wanted to know, how did he do it? How has Bear Grylls survived? The first time I saw Bear Grylls was in 2006 at a bus stop. Don't get too excited. His face was on a poster for his new Discovery Channel series, Man vs. Wild, which was on its way to becoming a smash hit. Bear seemed like a character out of a comic book. Born in Northern Ireland, he'd served in the UK Special Forces, climbed Mount Everest at age 23, and circumnavigated Britain on a jet ski. After making his way onto English TV, he'd burst onto American television with this show that had him dropping into the middle of nowhere. Deserts, jungles, swamps, then making his way out with only a knife, water bottle, and flint. Along the way, he'd demonstrate extreme survival skills, like, you know, how to drink the juice from elephant poop. 
pretty disgusting, but it could save your life. Not one of the better drinks I've ever had. The show is incredibly entertaining because of Bear's schoolboy energy and his awesome accent and all that nasty stuff he kept swallowing. Meat hacked off his zebra carcass, maggots, even his own urine. He was like a cross between MacGyver and Monty Python, and it was obvious to everyone that he was going to be this huge star. Or maybe not. Less than a year after Man vs. Wild's premiere, reports surfaced that Bear had spent a few nights in lodges while filming, instead of suffering out in the bush, and that he staged some things. For a brief moment, it seemed like maybe Bear was done. But he wasn't. His fans just didn't seem to care that much. Bear changed his show so you could tell he was out there with the team. You'd see him giving a cameraman a hand on a stream crossing. And his producers added a disclaimer at the start of every episode that said he sometimes gets a little help. I did my first interview with Bear in the fall of 2007. It was the beginning of a relationship of sorts, in which I'd check in with him every couple of years or so as his career chugged along. In 2012, Bear had a very public split with Discovery Channel that marked the end of Man vs. Wild after seven seasons. I spent a few days with him soon after that for an outside cover story. And then I read another feature about him in 2015 that looked at his new show for NBC, Running Wild with Bear Grylls, which had him taking A-list celebrities on softcore adventures. Okay, lunch, here we go. All right, what do we got? Well, Alaska is a land of bear and salmon. We haven't got bear. Oh, look at this. But, look at this. And now this is for real. I found this on the riverbank, okay? So don't freak out too much. I think the president looked a little surprised when I pulled out this sort of bloody carcass of half-eaten salmon. This was half-eaten by a bear. This is the moment in the story of most reality TV personalities when the spotlight starts to dim. Bear's had a great run. He landed lucrative endorsement deals, and he's written a best-selling autobiography. What he should be doing now is going on Dancing with the Stars and riding a zip line off into the sunset. But he's not. In fact, Bear's charging harder than ever. In January, he broke ground on a $25 million adventure theme park in the UK that will have indoor skydiving and a high ropes course. This April, he's hosting the first ever Bear Grylls Survival Challenge, an obstacle race with a survival twist set in the hills outside of Los Angeles. Quite improbably, a dozen years after he started drinking his own pee on television, Bear Grylls is still very much a thing. I wanted to ask him how he's managed to do it, to stay relevant while so many of his kind have faded away. Since the guy is so busy, this meant chasing him down on location in the high desert of the eastern Sierra Nevada mountains, where he was filming on an ancient volcanic crater near California's Mono Lake. When I rolled up on the set, he was literally dangling below an approaching helicopter. As it got closer, I could see he was tied to someone. Moments after they were set down on the ground, Bear ran over to me and gave me his usual hearty greeting. Do I know what's going on here, he asked? No, I don't. Okay, so, so okay, here, here, here's the reality, Bear. I have no idea what's going on, what you just did. <clears throat> Dell didn't tell me a thing. Oh, is that right? <clears throat> yeah, well, we decided it'd be more fun that way. Yeah, well, why not? Well, these, um, the things I've noticed, the whole, so much of the landscape of media's just changed over the last you know year and it's so fun to be able to sort of try and you know stay at that edge but you know we still maintain our you know NBC running wild show and we're in season five of that and we still do our channel for the island and we do some running wilds for ITV in the UK and we do China version as well and those are all good but they're kind of exciting space as well for me is beginning to do shows for the likes of Netflix 
and for Facebook. So this one is for Facebook Watch and it's great, it's just taking incredible people away on little mini adventures, hearing their stories and you know I get so, you know, we spent so long taking the well-known sort of Hollywood people away who are amazing but there's something, um, there's something great about, you know, we get so many people write in and they say oh we love watching this but you should meet my brother who you know served in the military and you know got injured or you know my my auntie who's a single mum battling x y and z and you know i love hearing the stories of regular everyday people battling the same things that matter up a mountain but in life and so so we said to facebook what about just doing a whole series of of shows call it touch of the wild and we just take these people and you know, we put it out there on Facebook and literally tens of thousands of people send us videos. And we picked, we picked the, the first run we've done as 10. And we picked incredible people from all walks of life. Yesterday I was taking a, an amazing US veteran who had both his legs blown off in Afghanistan. Died three times on the operating table. He should have died a countless time. He's just an incredible guy. And who's really sort of living life now. And, you know, still in so much pain. But he's he's out there and he's learning to skydive and... You know, so I took him on an adventure with no legs, picked him up in his wheelchair in the middle of the nowhere, put him into the chopper, said, what do you want to do with the wheelchair? He goes, well, leave it, let's leave it. And I took him literally on stumps. He was crawling and we, we climbed cliffs and crossed lakes and he was just an, an inspiration, but the sort of person you might never have know, know about. Right. And just now I took an amazing hit. That lady who I just came underslung with, yeah. underfoot, hanging under a helicopter off the edge of this volcano, blind, 100% blind can't see i had her running down the scene it's amazing and she tears in her eyes running just shaking with joy because she could be free and i had her on a short rope behind i said i said there's nothing to worry about it's a thousand foot just volcanic dust ash just run let you let, embrace it let your legs flow you're not going to hit anything. there's no curbs there's no no bicycles there's, you know just be free and she started off tentatively and then she just ran it and it's <laughs> you know for me i kind of think this is this is what i love about my my job is, is allowing sort of regular people to access the wild and seeing what outdoors does for people. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're also doing with our survival challenge in LA. It's all yeah. the same, same yeah. spirit. Well, he, that, that was sort of like the, you know, I see what Bear means, but there's also something very different in what he's doing now. If you look at the arc of his television career, he started off all alone in front of the camera, just one man versus the wild on a cable TV show. From that, he went to taking super famous people along with him for a primetime network series. Now it's non-famous people for short Facebook videos that a lot of people will watch on their phones, plus a theme park and a survival event that anyone can sign up for. It's like Bear is inching closer and closer to his audience. That evolution fits with what he's been doing outside of television for years in the UK, where he's had this important role in their version of the Boy Scouts and has developed survival academies that teach real-world skills. You start off, you build, you know, first of all, I started off as a kid who just wanted to climb and follow my dreams, join the military, did the job I loved, you know, tried to reach the peak of that job and, and was privileged to serve with the special forces and loved that and the camaraderie and the friendship. You know, then I got asked to do the TV show, you know, sort of Man vs. Wild, and that's kind of showing, you know, what a, a few of the things I've learned along the way. And then it's like, but hold on, what are, uh, this builds the authority, you know, that, the, the history, the story. But now what I want to do is share it. Mm-hmm. And then, then Running Wild came about, not because we went out to stars, but because a few early stars came to us. Will Ferrell, first of one, we never thought about doing a Running Wild touch show. He approached us during Man vs. Wild and said, you know, could we just do a little adventure together? And he loved it. And then we did Jake Hall, And then, you know, before you know it, you're five seasons down the road, having 
had the privilege of taking incredible people. But what I've learned from that is it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone wants a taste of a feel, a sense of that kind of pride and confidence and spirit that the wild brings out in people. And your listeners get this. You know, your listeners are out there every day gunning it down ski slopes or gunning it on mountain bikes or base jumping. You know, they understand exactly what I'm talking about here. But then the next step is like not everyone's a celebrity. You know, TV like the celebrity, but actually my heart is, is what I love about the scouting I do. You know, it's, it's teaching, helping young people. It's what I love about our survival academies. You're encouraging the everyday person to get a touch of all of this stuff. And now to be able to take, you know, through Facebook series or the Netflix stuff we're doing, take regular people is, is so cool. It's, it's connecting. It's all about connection, really, isn't it? One way to give everyday people watching your survival shows a more visceral experience is to bring them into the action. Bear's Netflix series, which he just began working on this winter, will enable viewers to be virtually in his shoes. So the Netflix one is cool. It's slightly different, but it's, it's the first of its kind, never been done before, an interactive adventure show. So now, instead of just a kid playing a computer game, I can be on the screen, I can reach a river, and I go, you decide. Do I build a raft or do I swim it? And the kid goes, I'll press the yellow button here. You swim it. You know, reach the edge of a cliff. Do I jump it or do I rappel in, into the water? Do I do the... It's jump? a choose-your-own-adventure. It's a choose-your-own-adventure. Choose, choose Bear's Adventure. Choose Bear. We actually haven't even called it yet. You know, we, <laughs> there's so many cool names. You know, you versus wild. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. We'd start filming that pretty soon. But it's such a fun space because now it's like... It's now bringing the viewer to, like, you decide. You know, you're going to get Bear killed up the thing or you're going to, no, hold on, rewind that one. Let's send him off down. Are you going to base jump it or are you going to... Climb down it. You decide. But the event feels different than that. I mean, because as Bear sees it, everything he's done on television so far has set him up for his survival challenge in April. The event is a new twist on obstacle racing, a four-mile course that takes entrance through crazy survival scenarios. It's the stuff we've all been watching him do for years, but now it's our turn. It's a totally natural progression of that, you know, that runs on a a parallel track. It's, again, not you know... I can't take everybody on this show, on the Facebook watch. I can't take everyone on Running Wild. But this is a way for every. I mean, we, you know, you walk down the, I walk down the streets of the family. That's what the, when the people come up, they want, they want to tell me their story, first of all. And then they go, how can I kind of get involved in this stuff? And for me, putting on a big, big event where you've got people from all over the world coming in who want to test their metal. They want to, they've learned these skills, but they've never tested it under fire. You know, they maybe read the books and maybe watch the shows. They maybe trained hard like you, Michael. You know, they're fit, they're strong. But actually, they want to bring it all together. They want to be tested. And, but not everyone maybe wants to join the military, which would be a natural testing ground. Not everybody wants to maybe climb Everest, which, you know, but they want a, a taste of it. He's right about that. People wanting a taste of risk and adventure is exactly what propelled the obstacle racing boom that had millions entering events like Tough Mudder and Spartan Race. But the thing is, that boom is over. Participant numbers in U.S. obstacle races are down some 30% from their peak of five years ago. Bear knows this, but he also insists that his event will be different and attract a new kind of racer. He's partnered with sports marketing giant IMG to create a course at the Blue Cloud Movie Ranch, where both American Sniper and Iron Man were filmed. Bear's vision is to create what he calls the ultimate disaster zone. You know, I wanted, you know, we got so many of those companies approaching us years ago saying, could we endorse sort of races? And it's like, we always said, no, I don't want to jump on a bandwagon of that. And we said, no, no, no. And the, the belief was when we do it, we want to take it on to a new, new genre that people haven't yet done. And nobody's done this thing of bringing survival into it. So we're not running people over obstacles. We're creating a whole bunch of disaster survival scenarios from 
burnt out villages to war-torn areas to mountains to to avalanche stuff to all these cool things to jungle lanes to snakes to whatever putting the whole thing wait wait snakes there's gonna be there's gonna be everything rats you name it you know you're gonna have to eat the unimaginable you're gonna have to you know but it's so it's physical, but it's mental. You've got to stay alert in the big moments. You've got to have good memory, good balance, good resourcefulness. So it's hitting you from all angles, which essentially is what survival is. It's what, if I look back, even that first, even Man vs. World, it's the same thing. It's like, can you think quickly on your feet and be resourceful and still kind of keep moving and come up with things under pressure? And, you know, it's what we do with these stars on the mountain. It's the same thing. They're always going, oh, my God, it's a small team and it's all happening so fast. But that's a challenge and that's a fun and also it's what is a core element of a survivor, that ability to think under pressure and deliver. Um, but like the war-torn side of it is fun because we can have these burnt-out villages and, you know, a helicopter on the side on fire and you've got, to get, you've got sniper fire of paintball stuff happening. Meanwhile, you've got to collect this and remember that and somebody's been screaming in your ear some number back there and you've got to remember that and you've got to pick up a casualty, suddenly your man's down, there's blood spurting and it's like, it's all going to be happening for those few hours. And the cool thing is, your foot will have this chip in it, so it will read all the different things. So as you, as you successfully pass or complete something, or if you couldn't remember that, it's like, you know, suddenly, where's north now as you're climbing up this rope? And, you know, so everything's registered. So eventually at the end of it, you get this survival score. So it's going to be pretty fun. Talk to Bear for any length of time about survival, and one thing becomes clear. The guy truly and emphatically believes that going through tough times is good for us. Enduring discomfort and exhaustion, making difficult decisions in painful situations, he insists those kinds of experiences and wild settings bolster our confidence and capabilities in the everyday parts of our lives and jobs. Which, when you think about it, may help explain why the Bear Grylls brain is still kicking after all these years. Ultimately, you know, you have a belief in what a survival experience does for us and what adventure does for us and what challenge yourself to a really extreme level does for us. And I... I wonder, you know, what you think really happens there, you know, because there's that saying that, um, you know, whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger. But but what's really happening? I mean, what's happening in our minds, our body, our spirit? What is it that we go through that you think builds us up when we go through something difficult and come out the other side? Because we all have an effort muscle inside us. And when you work it, and you work it hard, you get stronger. It's like your bicep, you know. And I always say to my kids, you don't worry about it. You don't have to come first. You don't have to be in the top team. You don't have to be the cleverest because those things in life don't matter. What matters is how hard you try and you keep getting back on your feet time and time again when life and the wild and the adventure kicks you down. You know, the, 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 the heroes are those who keep getting back up. So what we're doing and what this gives to people, whether it's people I'm taking on adventures here, whether it's Hollywood people or whether it's regular people doing our survival challenge, is that it builds them, it gives that quiet confidence, that kind of belief that, do you know what, when it really matters, when the chips are really down, when everything's on the line and it's down to me to look after my kids or look after my husband or wife or, you know, I've got it. I know I can be resourceful, I can be quietly courageous, I can, I can you know, and I love that and I see it so often in people and money can't buy it. You know, if you could have that in a, in a sort of a tablet form you'd you know you'd be you might be working on that you got yeah you you got the thing is you got to earn it the hard way through mud sweat and endeavor it was starting to get dark out so we hopped in the back of a car with his longtime producer del shootman and started rolling west towards mammoth lakes on a bumpy dirt road to the sagebrush okay i just uh so we're now in a now in a vehicle driving out of the desert why didn't you i've just looked at myself in the windows i got i look a wreck 
Uh, I'm like covered in crap and it. <laughs> you know, a, a shower. A shower and a shave, maybe, would be nice. Um, One so, question okay. I really wanted to ask when, Bear was where all this started for him. Before TV shows and his Everest climb and the Special Forces, what sparked his thirst for adventure? And did he have an early survival experience that made him think, hey, I needed that, and I might be good at this? The thing is, it was the, I look back now, and, and as a kid, it was the only thing I was ever any good at. But nobody really cared, you know, which was fine. But I wasn't the sportiest or the cleverest. But I kind of loved, I loved being tinkering around outside. I was always making things. I'm trying to fix up old boats or make a raft or climb, rig up a rescue system on a tree or up a little 30-foot little cliff face or something. And, you know, my dad had been a commando and we used to climb together as a kid and stuff. And I, I suppose I grew up loving it. I loved being close to him. And, and as I said, it was the only thing I was ever good at but I do have a memory of you know the first kind of feeling of raw terror actually it, it wrapped up in an adventure and actually it wasn't a pleasant experience and but afterwards there was a little bit of me that went oh my god that was you know I, 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 I can do this and we it was with my dad and we were visiting my uncle who's posted on this little island um Called, it's called Cyprus, you know Cyprus? It's an amazing place, but you can, you can ski and swim in the sea on the same day. You know, it's big mountains and you know, high elevation. And he was in the army out there, and we went to visit him, and I was aged probably about eight. And my dad said, should we go skiing for the day? And it was like one run. You know, it wasn't like a ski resort. It was like, you know, you got a truck up there, and then you hiked a bit, and then you ski down this thing, and then repeated the whole process for 30 seconds of skiing and three hours. Anyway, we got up there, and we went for one more at the end of day, and the cloud came down and it started snowing and we basically just couldn't find the couldn't even find the piste. And we just skied and before we knew it, we knew we were way we were in a you know, amongst the trees and it's now dark and it's now cold, now we're wet. And um, <clears throat> and we just kept going. We knew you know, my dad said, Look, we just keep heading down, heading down, we've got to get out of the weather, we've got to keep moving, we don't wanna be having to spend the night, you know. And before I knew it, it was like two in the morning. I was exhausted and we were still moving. It felt like it felt like I was going into Narnia. That was my memory. And it felt like the further we go, the more lost we're getting and the more in trouble we're getting. And the more the sense of terror and panic started to build in my pit of my stomach. And I just remember just being terrified of losing sight of my dad and wanting to you know, grab hold of him and, and, and moving. And I was getting so tired, I was half falling asleep and he kept shaking me. You know, I go, we've got to keep, we've got to keep moving. And I said, I can't, I'm cold. And I, and, he, and I remember complaining at one point, my hands were so cold, I can't feel anything. And I always got sympathy from him in normal life. And he stopped me and he said, oh, it doesn't matter, we've got to push on. Stop, no complaint, we just push, go. And it was like, I'd never seen my dad speak to me like that. It wasn't like he was panicky, it was like he was, this is serious, we've got to forget, got push on. And we kept going and eventually about, God knows what, it's still the middle of the night. We eventually popped out into a track in the middle of the woods. And um, it was a decision, do we go left or do we go right? And I'll never forget, my dad goes, well, what do you reckon? And uh, I go, what do you reckon? He goes, right. I go, I just had this real feeling we should go left. So I said, left. And he looked at me and he went, we'll go with your decision. And I remember thinking, hold on, I'm not so sure about the decision now. And, uh, you know. and we went left and literally within 200 metres, we popped out on a road, dropped down a bank onto a road, started walking. And like, you know, half an hour later, a car came along 
picked us up and, and took us back to the barracks and they'd had a whole mountain rescue searches out and we got like the mother of all bollockings for, but, you know. But I never forget my dad saying to me, it's a good decision. And it was like, it was like, was that luck? Which obviously it was. But there was part of me that felt that was good instant. That was like, I had to go through the terror and everything. So I suppose the point of the story was that I didn't enjoy it and I was really raw scared but there was a little part of me that connected went do you know what I I kept going and I stopped complaining about the hands and I never gave up and we kind of made it. Well okay you listen to Bear tell that story so earnestly and it's easy to see how being lost and scared and cold was ultimately empowering because he got through it all but it doesn't play out that way for everyone. The harsh truth is that a lot of people go through survival situations and come out the other side alive, but damaged. So what makes the difference? Why do some people emerge emboldened while others are weakened? They have to get over. And I wonder if there's, in how we approach these things, or where, is there a way to try to control that? Or what, what turns someone at that fork between feeling empowered exactly. and The difference not... is, is whether you give up or not. It really is as simple as that. Because those that... I've done it, I've done it, you know, big long expeditions with people and those that go, do you know what, I can't, I can't go any longer, I'm out of here, I'm done. And the difference between those and the others who have done, you know, months of it, more, and they come out, even though the hardship was so much greater and the blisters were so much worse and the fear and the fatigue and everything was so much greater, the sense of pride at the end that they endured, they never gave up, it counteracts everything. And my experience really is those that quit they're the ones that feel that kind of trauma. And I think there's the sense of kind of enduring and doing it, finishing it strong, outweighs all of the trauma that people experience along the way. And I think obviously sort of really horror survival stories, they, they're, gonna, they're gonna leave some, a few scars, but then again, who wants to reach the end of their life in a perfectly preserved body? You know, the scars and the crinkles and the cracks are what makes us human and interesting and when I meet people who are just too kind of perfect and too together I just don't believe it any longer you know I I love my you know the great friends I film with out here the same crew that I've worked with for 10 years now I love them for for their struggles and their doubts and they love me for all of my kind of fears and sort of you know it's it's okay it's good so Okay, I want to ask about something else now. Does I've that ju- make sense? Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, it, you're, it seems like the core of, of your answer is, Don't it's about, back. did you did you break during the, the experience? Did you well, throw you in the towel and give up? That's it. Break is different from throwing in the towel. We all, we all have a break button. That's okay. But, and we all have moments where we want to quit. But it's just that thing of hanging on and in there. And I get asked every day by kids, by grandmas, by adventurers, you know, what's the heart of survival? And I think they kind of expect some answer about skills and resourcefulness and all. And, you know, if I'm really honest, it's so simple. It's just never give up. It really, it really is that. And, uh, and there's a healing power to, you don't have to finish brilliant. You don't have to finish kind of, it's all perfect. You just have to finish. <laughs> and, and that's a magic because it's not an exclusive club of people who are good looking or talented or got the right skills. Anyone can do it. And that's very empowering. Never give up. That's the message Bear has been preaching all these years. To his fans, but also clearly to himself. Whether you're stumbling through the jungle eating worms or pivoting from hour-long TV shows to 10-minute videos for Facebook, just keep going. Be strong. You can make it. That's not the whole story, though. One thing I've learned in my years of speaking to Bear is how much he cares about the people on his team. 
He talks about them all the time. And not like someone giving an acceptance speech for an award where it sounds obligatory. More like the army guy he is, who loves his unit as much as his family. I've also gotten used to Bear extending that same sentiment to me. Here's the thing. Michael and me have known each other a while, and he did one of the first interviews, and we did a cover of Outside Magazine years ago, Man vs. Wild. And the thing I really love about my world is right here in this. I love the friendships, you know, and the stuff. The shows are great, and the challenges are great, and it's all kind of, that's the work, and I love what it brings out in people. But if I had to have one thing from my work, it's the, it's the relationships and the friendships you make along the way. It's the greatest world I have in my life with the crew that I film with, and whether it's my buddy in the front here, Del, has been here so far. And, you know, and with you, I love the fact that we see each other every two, three yeah, years, yeah, and it's fine. Right. We pick up where we left off. You know, you got married, you've had kids, I got married, we got kids, we're still out there, got a few more wrinkles, a few more grey hairs. We never give up, we kind of get back on our feet. You know, there's everyone else, there's so many people every day who are better, fitter, stronger, more talented, this and that, but it's all kind of good. Yeah. And I love seeing you again, and I admire your tenacity, and I really value our friendship. Well, here's... You really never know what to think when a famous person you're doing a story about claims to like you. They could be buttering you up, of course. But with Bayer, it always feels like he means it. And if I'm being honest, I really like talking to him. We're the same age. We both have three sons. We seem to understand each other. Which is a good thing, because I'm pretty sure we'll be speaking again soon. In a couple years, and a couple years after that, and even probably when we're both in our 60s and the world has moved beyond television and smartphones and virtual reality. I'll be interviewing Bear about his new brain implant survival experience. And we'll look back on this moment when media changed and he could have given up, but he didn't. Because he never does. Mike Roberts interviewing Bear Grills in California. The series Bear was filming here debuts tomorrow, March 21st, on Facebook Watch. It's called Face the Wild. The Bear Grylls Survival Challenge will take place on April 28th and 29th. This piece was brought to you by Saris and the new Glide bike rack. Go find a video of how it works. You'll want one. It was written by Mike Roberts and produced by me, Peter Frickwright, and Robbie Carver. We'll be back in two weeks with the science of survival.